0: Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's a dog in there, the woman next door told him. At least there was a dog. One of those yipping little ones with long hair. wonder what happened to that dog. No one has lived in that mobile home for months, the woman said. Philip McCain already knew that. For six months, no one had paid the mortgage on the double-wide near the end of Yellow Pine Street. The bank was foreclosing. McCain and his son Jason had been hired to clear out the place. McCain unlocked the door and walked into the kitchen. It was May 4th, about 1 p.m. The house was dark. All the blinds were drawn, curtains closed. The air was thick and hot, sour. McCain's stomach churned. What was that rancid smell? Like rotten food, only worse. As he walked into the living room, the odor got stronger. He clicked on his flashlight, aimed the beam up and down. It looked like someone had just walked away and left everything, couch, TV, computer. The walls were papered with Star Wars posters. Every shelf was full of Star Wars games, Star Wars magazines, little R2-D2s and a Yoda. Some spoiled kid must have lived here, McCain thought. He followed the hall to the bedrooms. Two doors were open, the third was closed. As McCain approached the closed door, the stench grew. He pushed it open and almost retched. Someone had tried to mask the smell. Dozens of cardboard air fresheners dangled around the room. Plug-in air fresheners bloomed after every outlet. In the master bathroom, empty spray cans of air freshener filled the trash can, the tub, the sink. McCain and his son looked at each other. What was this? You don't reckon, he remembered saying to Jason, that someone just left that dog in here to die. Two single beds shared the room, set close, in L-shape. One of the beds was piled with sheets and blankets. Someone had strewn baskets of potpourri across the covers. McCain reached to pick up the pile of bedding, but couldn't lift it. Something was in there, something heavy. His son tried to help. He tugged at the fitted sheet and the whole pile thudded to the floor. Jason started peeling back the layers. Then he ran, screaming, out of the house.
1: Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses your stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, The Saint and the Sacrifice. Years ago, Lane wrote a two-part series about a woman named Barbara Burns. What you just heard was the start of the series. Barbara had spent her life taking care of her disabled younger sister, and at some point, she snapped. She shot her sister in the head, wrapped her in blankets, closed the door on their home, and then took off, moving on with her life in a new state until detectives tracked her down. Now, Barbara's story is about to be retold in an episode of Twisted Sisters, a true crime show that will air at 9 p.m. on Monday, November 16th on Investigation Discovery. Lane was interviewed for the show and also recently caught up with Barbara, who has now finished her 12-year sentence and lives a quiet life near where she and her sister used to live. We'll be sure to include links to the old series and Lane's new story with this podcast. But, but let's talk about the story, starting with, when did you first hear about this case, Lane? And and of course it's intriguing, but what intrigued you in specifically?
0: I think this was a police brief in the times when it first happened. And it was about like Virginia Beach uh, police helped, St. Petersburg police track this woman down And the thing, I mean, we have lots of, unfortunately, murder stories, you know, that we don't ever get written into story stories. But in this brief, it's mentioned that this woman had lived in the trailer with her dead sister for six weeks. And I thought, oh, holy cow, what is up with that? That that was the weirdest thing. I mean, I know sister killings are pretty rare to begin with. And, like, caregiver killings are pretty rare to begin with. So this one was both. But I'd never heard of anybody living in a house with their dead sister for six weeks so that was that was kind of what I wanted to find out like what was going on with these
1: two. That that was the creepy factor for you. (laughs) Exactly that was a holy cow. So what was the reporting process like?
0: Um, I started by pulling the police report just you know of, of what happened and um went to the house went to the trailer and started they you know you doing like shoe leather work I was knocking on neighbor's doors and stuff like that and um so hardly anybody knew these ladies I mean I think I've, I've knocked on probably a dozen doors that day and the only person who really had anything to say was the next door neighbor who told me about the little dog that lived there um they didn't I'm trying to think if they they didn't know much especially about Debbie cuz she hardly ever left the house the younger sister but the the ne- neighbor told me she always saw Barbara helping her helping her to her car helping her to the mailbox helping, you know that she was a a caregiver as well as her sister
1: Now when you caught up when you started on this story had Barbara already been arrested and brought to Florida or yes. Okay so that yeah. that yeah.
0: she was in jail I think that was the the police brief was they like, extradited her or whatever brought her back from Virginia and she was in the jail here yeah
1: so neighbors are not really a whole lot of help with figuring out this family dynamic. So how did you, how did you get to who they were and what their background was?
0: Yeah, well, the police report had stuff like where she worked. So I called her boss at Lowe's and talk, interviewed him. Um, they, they had a mailbox at uh, mailboxes, et cetera, where they went and got packages and the lady there knew them because they came in every week. Um, and then I found out that their doctor was my doctor. Like I, we went to the same GP guy, so I went and interviewed him, and he said, you know, every time they came in, they brought cupcakes. They, they they were like these little, you know, middle-aged ladies who didn't seem like they had much to do other than like make cupcakes for their doctor, you know. And but <laughs> everything that that started coming out, all the people were telling me the same story, which was Barbara was the super sweet, amazing, nice, devoted patient caregiver. And the little sister Debbie was a bitch. I mean, that word came up again and again, she had tantrums, she was demanding, she was mentally disabled. So, you know, she maybe didn't even understand what her actions, you know, were coming across as, but everybody, when they talked about their relationship talked about that piece of it. Um, And then I finally was able to track down their brother and who was a truck driver and took me a long time to find him and get him to call me back. But he was the only one who could kind of fill in a a lot of the background about them growing up and their family dynamic and how Barbara had come to take care of Debbie. So I had done all of that reporting before I ever tried to go visit Barbara in the jail.
1: And then how did you manage to get her to talk to you? Because I would think that her lawyer would have been going nuts uh, at the idea of her (laughs) letting a reporter come in before trial, before she goes, you know, faces charges.
0: Yeah, she had a public defender, and I think that's where I started. And of course he wouldn't talk to me and didn't want me to talk to her. And the more I learned about how lonely Barbara's life was and how few friends she had or people she interacted with and even her family hadn't talked to her in years, I thought maybe she'd just let me come visit her at the jail. And I just put my name on the visitor on her visitor list. Like I didn't, I think I put Tampa Bay Times on there. I put Lane DeGregory Tampa Bay Times on her visitor list and she approved me. And then all of a sudden I'm there, you know, talking to her on the video phone from the jail and she didn't ask her lawyer. I don't even think she told her lawyer. Um, So yeah, so that was kind of, I went, I went, ran into a wall with the lawyer and just tried to do a roundabout by going to Barbara herself.
1: What was that moment like, Lane? Like you're sitting across from somebody that you know pretty, you're pretty sure has just, has killed her sister and left, lived with her for six weeks. I mean, What's What's running through your head, do you remember?
0: I I think the thing that surprised me most like right off the bat was she was really happy. You know, like I've interviewed a lot of people in jail and nobody's ever happy to be there. And and she was just like, it seemed almost like she was better off in her mind that she was in this place where people were taking care of her instead of uh, her taking care of somebody else. She didn't have to work, she didn't have to pay her bills. She could watch TV all day long if she wanted. Someone else was making her meals and doing her laundry. No one was tugging on her or bugging her. And she said, I finally have friends, you know? And I thought, oh my gosh, it took this poor woman 53 years in jail to get friends, you know? So it was it was hard not to feel a little bit um, sympathetic toward her, not sympathetic maybe, sorry for her, for her lot in life, you know? but totally surprising that she was happy.
1: Yeah, when, when Lane was uh, catching up with her um, recently, <laughs> Lane said, oh, she's she was lovely. <laughs> I thought, that's not a descriptor you use for a lot of murderers, but um, well, I mean- she's like,
0: She wants to have a conversation. You know, here I am asking her like, oh, you're out of jail after serving 12 years for murder. And she's like, and how are you? And how's your family? And how's your dog? Like she was just like- Does she remember you? Yeah, she remembered me. I was the only person who ever
1: visited her in jail. Oh, jeez. So, when you so going back to yeah, the reporting on this series was there. Was there a breakthrough moment for you? There was a place where you thought, okay, now I've got my story nailed down. That's how I'm going to approach it. I think
0: the desperation of the lives these ladies were leading became apparent to me. most when I was talking to the lady at the mailboxes, etc. store. And she said that uh, Debbie had met somebody online on on some online dating site and had been sending little presents to him. And that's why they were coming in to mail these things. And that this guy had promised to marry her. And that Debbie told everybody she was going to get married. And that Barbara was so excited that maybe Debbie was going to get married and like move out of her caregiving realm and then that of course didn't happen and that was the kind of the moment that I think the ultimate despair set in you know that was shortly before all of this the shooting happened
1: a failed online romance yes okay. <laughs> but like her
0: last chance you know to get to get her sister out of her house and then that didn't happen
1: so this this story hit close to home for you on a couple of levels, right? She lived close by and she ended up going to Virginia Beach, which you know very well cuz you used to live in that area. Did that yes. help you?
0: I mean, I, I think I started making these connections in the way like I lived, I grew up in Maryland, really near where she grew up in Maryland. I worked with you in Virginia Beach, right where she vacationed and where she, you know, where she fled ultimately and was found. And her house is maybe two miles from my house. So we went to the same doctor, you know what I mean? We ate at the same Carrabba's. It's Like It just felt like. Had there,
1: very different lives let's clarify but yeah okay
0: <laughs> very different lives but geographically I got it you know what I mean I, I understood those areas and where she came from and what that was like and um, yeah so I have a sister I wasn't thinking at all about that with my sister that I didn't relate really, I never wanted to kill her
1: <laughs> but but I think no. that one time but no yeah.
0: <laughs> knowing, knowing where she came from you know and, and where she was it, it was very familiar
1: that, that does help, right? Because you're sitting there, and you you have. I mean, you could probably picture the 7-Eleven at Virginia Beach, and you you have your mind.
0: Like, I bought beer there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> probably from her. No. Uh, why Why did you split it into two parts? So you took the original story and you and you broke it into what 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 was the thinking behind that?
0: I think that was my editor, then Mike Wilson's idea. Um, he thought the first story could be all about you know who who were these people and, and unraveling the mystery of the body, you know, and, and kind of telling it through the eyes of like, let the readers be the detectives. And then the second story, kind of tell the story of the sisters, you know, what led up to this? How did we get to this point? Um, it ran on a Sunday and then a Monday. So it was like back to back days in print back then.
1: Why don't you start and end with the doggy? What was it about the dog that, that uh, I, I don't know, drew you in? You know,
0: sometimes the best default when you don't know how to tell a story is start at the very beginning of your reporting. And the first thing that I found before the movers even went in, when I interviewed the mover and the neighbor, they both talked about the dog. And it was so horrifying to them that someone might have left a dog in there to die. And then you think how much more horrifying it is that there was a dead woman in there for all those months. And then the dog was also the trigger for um, Barbara to admit she had a sister was when they showed her the picture of her sister with the dog. And she just broke down and was worried about the dog. And when I talked to her in jail, she asked about the dog. Like, do you think he's okay? I had to take him to the shelter. You know, I couldn't just leave him there to die. And I'm thinking, well, you left your sister in there after you killed her. Like, it was like such an interesting, juxtaposition of, of her caring concern about the dog and the neighbors caring concern about the dog when there was such a bigger thing to worry about going on there,
1: you know? So um, tell everyone about catching up with this woman. So this is, this. not every journalist gets to do this. You don't get to catch up with the subject of a story 15 years later, right? And, uh, um, but you tracked her down. Yeah,
0: I didn't even know she was out of jail. I knew she got 15 years, and so I thought this year she would be getting out of jail, but I didn't know until the producers from um, Investigation Discovery told me they'd just interviewed her, Um, and I said, oh, well, I I need to go interview her, too. So I talked to her on the phone. I didn't go visit her. COVID, thank you. Um, But she's living in a halfway house, um, not too far from where she was living with her sister, and she just, I mean... (laughs) I went over to see it and it just looked like, um, I don't know, prison almost. <laughs> it was, it's, it's kind of a terrible place where she lives, but she um, she has her freedom. She loves going to Walmart. She rides the bus. She gets social security to live on so she doesn't have to work. And she's 69 years old and she finally has her own bedroom for the first time in her life. So she's got two roommates um, and her own room. And I, I think, you know, maybe one of the most surprising things, uh, I asked her what she wants, like, what do you wanna do? What do you want the rest of your life to look like? And um, she's, she told me, you know, kind of mundane things. She wants to go to the beach, she wants to get a dog, whatever. But then she said she really wants a picture of Debbie and she wants to tell Debbie that she loves her um, and she misses her all the time. And that was kind of tragically sad to hear. That was the only time she got emotional and really started sobbing on the phone
1: it felt sincere, right?
0: It, it definitely felt sincere. It, it felt like she she hadn't really even come to terms that she could have done something like this, but she knew she couldn't take it back and Debbie was never gonna be there again. She's like, I even miss her yelling at me. I miss her telling me what to do. You know, and you, you realize just how incredibly entwined their lives were, you know what I mean? These are 50, 40 year old women who didn't have anybody else in their lives but each other.
1: I I mean, true crime is always um, just, it draws people in. And I I know you're a big fan too. But like, um, I mean, and and this is an interesting case because she's just not your typical criminal. And you know, that it was a family member, that it was somebody she cared for, the fact that she, I mean, I guess the assumption is that she just snapped in that moment. And so that even the most passive and sweet and gentle person could get to that point. I mean, that's, I don't know that's, that's what seems intriguing about stories like this.
0: Exactly, and you know, and and it wasn't, it wasn't premeditated, it wasn't planned, it wasn't something, you know, that that they just had a fight and it was it, it was 40 years of buildup, you know, that that was all erupting in that one moment. I mean, I just can't imagine how desperate she must've been, you know?
1: What was it like filming uh, for Twisted Sisters? Did you even know this program exists? Because I didn't know this program <laughs> existed. Oh, I'm
0: a big investigation discovery fan. I, I love true crime. Yes. So I've seen this before. I was like, Twisted
1: Sisters? You're going to put my story on Twisted Sisters? Right, so the, the, There's a whole program around bad sister relationships is that what this is
0: well yes sometimes the sisters work together to do the killing but sometimes they kill each other so it depends you know you don't really know like how twisted the sisters are going to (laughs) be but they they seldom get to interview the murderer you know usually the murderer person unless they get a jailhouse interview and here barbara was out and living in her apartment so they seemed pretty happy to be able to get that end of it and her her side of the story unfortunately she says now she can't remember that she doesn't remember what happened and she blacked out um she told the cops a much different story when they caught up with her all those years ago so i don't know what the investigation discovery got you know from her for the show i haven't seen it um they told me they wanted me to be on there as a journalist because i was the first person who covered the story um and that it would take about an hour and i was there for almost five hours so I don't know what's going to end up in the show, but they make you say things, you know, four or five times, answer the same question and then walk across the room. No, walk slower. No, walk faster. No, turn your head this way. No. So it was kind of a pain, like just the logistics of it. Um, But yeah, because I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with it for the show, you know, no actress will be playing me so I'll have to look at myself, but I don't know who they're going to get to do Barbara and Debbie.
1: <laughs> so they do recreations, they do that they, kind yeah. of thing? Yeah, yeah they, so they
0: have the interviews with the real people and then they recreate the scenes of the the crime.
1: Ah, there you go, and this, I mean this isn't the first time, you've had this happen a few times where somebody came back on a story that you had done and then you be that you know those lovely uh, TV shots where you're typing and you look like the uh, uh, you know the reporter hard at work.
0: Yeah, and this time we couldn't go in the newsroom. You know they wouldn't let us in the newsroom to film it. So I did it at my friend Patty's house, and they were like, "We'll put the newspapers in the drawer of the dresser and pretend you're finding them again for the first time after all these years." I was like, "What? It's not even my house. Plus, who puts d- newspapers in a dresser?" You know. So there was a little bit of um fabrication at
1: the end. Uh, Yeah. Right next to the gun. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Like I said, we'll have the, uh, we'll put the links to the story so you can read about it. And, um, and if you want to watch the show, it's coming up on Monday, uh, November 16th. Uh, If you have a question for Lane, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to right lane at tampabay.com. That's W R I T E L A N E at tampabay.com. Join us next week, Wednesday morning, for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Ayana Ishmael. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.